questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. More than half of American adults and more than 75% of young Americans believe in intelligent extraterrestrial life. This level of belief rivals that of belief in God. American Cosmic examines the mechanisms at work behind the thriving belief system in extraterrestrial life, a system that is changing and even supplanting traditional religions. Over the course of a six-year ethnographic study, Dr. Diane Walsh-Pasulka interviewed successful and influential scientists, professionals, and Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who believe in extraterrestrial intelligence, thereby disproving the common misconception that only French members of society believe in UFOs. She argues that widespread belief in aliens is due to a number of factors, including their ubiquity in modern media, like the X-Files, which can influence memory and the believability lent to that media by the search for planets that might support life. American Cosmic explores the intriguing question of how people interpret unexplainable experiences and argues that the media is replacing religion as a cultural authority and offers believers answers about non-human intelligent life. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button. Join me on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is Dr. Diana Walsh Basulka, a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington and chair of the Department of Philosophy and Religion. Her current research focuses on religious and supernatural belief and practice and its connections to digital technologies and environments. She is the author and co-editor of numerous books, including the latest, American Cosmic, UFOs, Religion, Technology. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. Her website is AmericanCosmic.com. And she joins us directly from North Carolina. Hello, Dr. Pasulka, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. I'm great. How are you? Excellent. May I call you Diana? Yes, please. Thank you. Well, we knew each other from way back when in 2012. I think this is the year when you started it all. Is that the year that started it all for you? You know, it was. It was the year that started it all. And I remember the conference we went to, and it was an amazing conference. And um, that was the year that really turned my research direction around and um, changed my mind about a lot of things and really kind of started me on this path. So it was in 2012, I met Christopher Bledsoe and his wife, Yvonne, and many others. And as you know, Chris and I did a great interview a few years ago. And anyone who hasn't listened, please, I highly suggest that you do. But I also met you at the same gathering, and you've been working on your book since then, American Cosmic. What yes. can the readers and the listeners expect of, of this book we'll be dis- that uh, we'll be discussing tonight? Okay. Well, the book is not a typical UFO book, um, book about, you know, that takes a case and goes into it. Um, Basically, the book is a combination of uh, the story of the research and uh, the people that I met 
and the surprising elements that I didn't expect to find. It's also a story about the formation of religion. Um, I am a professor of religion, so I do study that. And it's also a story about technology in our age and the way in which the sacred is conceived today. Uh, but more than that, I think that it's surprising because of the type of people that I encountered and the journeys that we went on. We started in New Mexico. Uh, we ended up at the Vatican, uh, the Vatican Observatory. And, um, you know, uh, it was just quite a, a change of life for me. And so I think that I think readers will be very um, interested in this, the surprising elements. So they'll expect a UFO book, but it's actually not. It's it's a story. And um, I think it's a compelling story about religion and um, spirituality of our day. Indeed. And by the way, the second Vatican Observatory is right here a few miles away from me. That's uh, after the Castel Gandolfo in 1980, as you probably know, because of the light pollution. They decided to scout for a new location. It's right here, very close to me in Mount Graham. But when it that met is you, exactly right. Yeah. Yes. So when it met you, you told me you were a professor of religious studies, which we know. The first question that came to mind that I didn't ask you back then, how did you end up in the world of UFOs? As I know, you were never interested in the topics of UFOs prior to 2012. Yes. In fact, if anybody in 2011 had said that I would be writing a book about UFOs, I would have laughed at them. And um, I'm not, not to discount it, just to say that it was really not on my radar. Um, however, now that I'm, I'm pretty immersed in it, I realize that it, it actually was, was what I was studying my whole life. So I've been interested in religion since I was a child. And and what I've done is I've concentrated on the Catholic tradition of religious studies. Everybody has a specialty in my field. So I specialize in Catholic history. And so I've written a lot of publications on basically Catholic mystical ideas and Catholic mystical thought, uh, Teresa of Avila, saints like that. And what happened was that I had just finished in 2012, I had finished this book that I had written on the doctrine of purgatory, which is this idea for Catholics that when people die, their souls don't directly go to heaven, but go to kind of a, a place where they um, they become perfected. And this is called purgatory. And it was it was practiced for, you know, oh, gosh, maybe a long time. Almost, well, I'd say about 1700 years. It's still something that Catholics believe in, but they don't necessarily practice devotions to souls in purgatory anymore. And I wanted to know why. So I did a study uh, and it took me a long time, just like it took me a long time to write this book. Um, and I went to a lot of archives and I came up with original sources of um, reports of, quote unquote, souls from purgatory from about 1300 on the way up to about 1800. And what I noticed was that there were lots of reports of beings of light and conscious balls of light and aerial phenomena. And I was I was frankly pretty um, confused about that. And I really didn't know how to write it into my book. So I only wrote a couple of those into the book. But I I kept a log of these. And um, a friend of mine looked at my log and said, wow, this looks a lot like, you know, Steven Spielberg stuff like UFOs. And I laughed. And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. But um, the next week there happened to be a um, a UFO conference. And so I attended that. And that's where I met Chris Bledsoe. And Chris Bledsoe lives about an hour and a half uh, near me. And so I was able to talk with him. Oh, and that's right. That's right. North Carolina. Yeah, we're really close. So um, 
I spent a lot of time talking with Chris and his family. Chris is an experiencer. Um, most likely your audience has familiarity with him. Um, he he is a very sincere, wonderful person, and his family is, is just, just great, very hospitable. And so um, what I did was I recognized that the things that he was talking about were very, very similar to the things that I had been studying basically my whole life, Catholic mystical thought. And so um, this, because the experience is, you know, that's what we identify our patterns. And so I saw this as a pattern. And so that's how I started. And um, I was immediately invited to conferences about it. Uh, that's how I met you. And so that's the link. The link is, you know, and I in the first part of the book, I make it really clear, you know, what's the connection between UFOs and religion? And, you know, when you think about how religions start, a lot of times they start with some type of being of light, like uh, Islam started with uh, Gabriel, who is a being of light who comes to Muhammad. Um, you know, the New Testament, you have Mary confronted with a being of light, you know, who's uh, telling her that she has she's with child. And so a lot of times um, religions begin with sightings of aerial phenomena, beings of light and things like that. So uh, I perceived that the UFO phenomena was basically a, a what I would call a new type of religion. Um, but we also had this idea of technology, which I was also interested in and always have been in. So um, the, these combined. So that's how I started the, the um, book, Mel. It was difficult for me to talk about the subject of UFOs growing up in a Roman Catholic household and school, even though I've been fascinated by this since childhood. But most of the time, anyone religious would just think of it as nonsense, especially yeah. at my school and even at my household, my family. I'm curious, what is your position on the UFO phenomenon now, especially after having studied religion for so long? Yes. So I now see the well, first, I would say that there within the last 50 years, um, the UFO phenomena is actually there are a lot of, quote unquote, UFO religions. Okay, Raelianism. Um, Scientology has uh, UFO aspects to it. Uh, Mormonism has some UFO aspects to it. Um, so we do have, you know, there's the nation of Islam with the uh, mothership and, and uh, language of UFOs there. So um, UFOs and religion are not actually as separate as people would, would have them believe, right? Have us believe. Uh, so right now what I see is Uh, like when I met Christopher Bledsoe, he actually interpreted his encounters as both UFO encounters and as you as religious encounters. And what I found when I started to get into the research was that since 1947, when, you know, we had the uh, the the huge UFO, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it goes right in, you know, it goes booms up into the public awareness. 1947 is is when People start to say, okay, there are these things called flying saucers. And people immediately started to interpret them as end time signs and things like that. So they were already be inter being interpreted as religious. So um, I think that, that in one sense, UFOs challenge traditional religions. But in another sense, I think that people who are religious are already prepared to believe in UFOs. I mean, the Catholic Church doesn't have a a position one way or the other, right? So I think that keeping our minds open is probably the best idea. Absolutely. And as you know, belief is a very important component in organized religion. I like the saying, I don't want to believe, I want to know. Or as Jacques Vallée says, believe no one, 
believe nothing. Yes. Do you yes. consider yourself a skeptic when it comes to the subject of UFOs now? I think a skeptic would have a closed mind. So I'm not a skeptic. I'm a person who um, takes very seriously Valet's work, John Keel's work, and I and my own, you know, the, the advisors that I've had in my own training. And I don't conclude. I think that I'm trained in religious studies not to weigh in on the truth or falsity of religion. And um, that's, you know, that's something that philosophers can do or people who are, you know, religious or atheists can do. But people who study religion actually are trained to um, basically study it for its effects. We don't actually say, okay, yes, God is real or not real. We might have our personal opinion. But I went into the study of this book with the idea that I wasn't actually going to say yes or no. I was going to keep an open mind. And I have to say that there were stages of being, of having my mind expanded, <laughs> you know, because I was working with people who were at the top of their field in, in uh, science. And um, I'm coming from the humanities. And so that was um, that expanded my mind quite a bit and challenged me too, not just, you know, as a person who is or is not religious, but as a person who is, um, you know, has been trained in uh, to be, you know, um, critical, uh, skeptical, that type of thing. So I know I'm not skeptical. I mean, I am skeptical, but I'm I, it's a it's a type of skepticism that has an open mind. I'm open to the possibility. Absolutely. That, that's what I was wondering. And there's nothing oh, wrong. I mean, I think it's the best the best sensation to be an open minded skeptic, because that's how you should approach everything. I think so, too. So that that would best describe me. Now, I'm just thinking of 2008. I believe it was when the Vatican all of a sudden started really opening up about all of this. And I think uh, I forgot the the person the Vatican who said, E.T. is our brother. Remember that back in 2008? And then the series, the TV series V came along. And I remember the first episode was when the first ships came along to the city. And a lot of people wondered how the Catholic Church would react. And the, the priests and the, and the bishop were talking, like, are they going to offer devotion to the ETs? Have you pondered this, if this scenario ever was ever to occur? Yes. So I, uh, I happen to be Catholic, and I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are Catholic, and I've worked at the Vatican. And um, the thing about the Catholic Church is that because— they, they're masters at having an open mind about things, right? About, well, particularly about this type of thing, about things that they, you know, they've had a long history of, of identifying what they would call heresies. And so I think they've learned their lesson and they don't do that anymore. So they say, okay, UFOs. You mean dark do we, ages? You know, yeah, exactly. The dark, you know, what we call the dark ages and that type of thing, you know, the inquisition and that type of thing. Galileo. Okay. So there's a long history of, um, saying no <laughs> or saying this, this shouldn't be. And so I think that um, given that history, uh, you've got people like Brother Guy Consolmagno, who's now the director of the Vatican Observatory, writing a book, um, you know, basically uh, with E.T. in the title of the book. And he's basically saying, OK, we've had this history, but I think that now we are it's OK for the Catholic Church to uh, be OK. You know, we we are scientists the whole scientific, the Western scientific tradition has emerged out of this, you know, European tradition. So um, with respect to Catholics and the UFO phenomenon, I find a lot of Catholics are believers. Uh, I find, but I mean, there's no official position. I don't think there can be an official position because 
the phenomena is slippery. You know, once once you begin to study it, um, it becomes something that is incredibly hard to say anything about other than that uh, there's evidence. A lot of people um, see things that are unknown, you know, uh, trained observers, uh, pilots. And uh, it would to say that it doesn't exist now, that's that's not that's something that is ridiculous. Um, but we say it exists, but we don't know what it is. Okay, so I think that a lot of the Catholics I know, some of the Catholics I know believe, some don't. Wasn't Pope, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert, wasn't it Pope Leo the Thirteenth who realized that, well, we need to embrace a little bit of science here, folks, and it was in 1891 when they decided to build the Vatican Observatory to please some of the people who were more scientifically oriented? Oh, I think, I mean... I think that there are, the Catholic Church is, you know, we live in the United States and uh, the United States is incredibly diverse. Well, I think that people have to think of the Catholic Church that way, too. The Catholic Church is global. There are billions of practitioners of Catholicism. And in, within the hierarchy of the church as well, you have people who believe different things. So you've got to think of the Catholic Church a little bit like we think of the United States. There are a lot of different states and we have a lot of different opinions. We may even vote politically different. You know, Arizona votes differently than California or, you know, Nevada. Well, yeah, you have so, Opus Day, and you have the rest of yeah, them. Ex- exactly. So, um, you know, you have a lot of scientists that embrace science. You know, um, in the the Vatican, and then you know you have people who resist certain things as well. So I think that yeah. So you're correct that. Uh, the observatory is there to, you know, it's not the, they don't have the the strongest telescope in the world, but they're definitely there doing very legitimate work on the cosmos. They have a great meteorite collection and um, they're, you know, actively looking up at the skies in Arizona as well, as well as in Castle Gandolfo. What about this? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess people sometimes get confused with the name Lucifer of this observatory that's here in uh, Mount Graham. But I believe that observatory belongs to another entity. Am I correct? Okay, so there is a um, there is a telescope, and it is named that. <laughs> However, uh, actually, Brother Guy told me this as we were going up, and he was going to give a talk up at the observatory. And in the car ride, he told me the story. I said, well, how did the, the telescope, you know, how did it get its name? And it was named after a German man who was, a, I believe, an astronomer whose name was sounded like Lucifer. So it got translated as Lucifer. And then that's how it derived its name. It wasn't consciously named Lucifer as a joke or on purpose or anything like that. So, you know, if you do just a little bit of, you know, uh, scraping around, you can find this story about it. But I know that that type of I, you know, that type of story just gets blown out of proportion. So, I know it's a, an acronym for light, unified, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I just find it that perhaps they could have used a different acronym, you know, being at the Vatican Observatory. But the, anyway, that's a different story. I'm sure after <laughs> writing, your, yeah, after, after writing your book, perhaps some of your views have changed. Have your worldviews changed at all? Oh, definitely. My worldviews have completely changed. Um, I have to say that 2012 was um, 
was a turning point in my worldview. And it was a turning point because not only did I begin to understand that people were still having very intense experiences that they were interpreting as Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.